Lights, camera, action. Yes, hi there. Good morning. Um, we are continuing on, as you can tell, with our series here called Mission Impossible from the book Titus. And in a very real way, Titus's mission was seemingly impossible. He was to go to the Cretans, who are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons, and show them how they were to grow in godliness in Christ Jesus. And so what the Apostle Paul did was he sent this young man back to the island with a mission. And the mission, first of all, was to appoint godly leaders. Appoint godly leaders in the church who would be able to teach God's people how to live godly and lives of good works in a culture that has become ungodly. Today we're actually in the third part of this message, this story. We've already considered the issue of godly leaders and elders. We've already considered the issue of ethical living. We spent uh, some time covering that. We kind of culminated it all last week by looking at so great salvation that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Justification, sanctification, glorification is sealed in him. And all God's people said, hallelujah, amen, yes. But today... We're actually going to see how all of this is meant to work in the context of our culture, in the context of our society. How is it that God's people are meant to live out this relationship with Jesus in our culture? Today, we're going to talk about godly citizenship. Godly citizenship. And how appropriate is this in the week where the 4th of July happens to reside? So, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me today in Titus chapter 3. We are almost done with the book, but we are ending with a bang. Uh, so, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'd like to read them, pray for us, and then unpack what we have here. And so, Paul told Titus to remind God's people of some things. Why? Because the Apostle Paul, while he was on the island of Crete, already told them these things. But he told them, Titus, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. We are to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why? Well, because once we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That was our lives. We lived just like the world, just how the world operates. But, but... When the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And all God's people said, awesome, yeah, awesome. Verse 8. Uh, Titus, this saying is trustworthy. Titus, this saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. It is these things 
that are excellent and profitable for people. Today we're going to wade into the issue of our culture, some of the issue of politics, and we're going to seek to apply the scriptures to how is it we are called to live this out in the context of our day. And I'm just going to say this right up front. Some of you won't be very happy with me by the time we're done this morning. So I've already reconciled that. My goal today is to equally offend everyone since I know I'm going to offend somebody anyway. So uh, let's, let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Father, um, it is difficult to live out the Christ life. You already know that. That's why you gave us the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the people of God. But when we seek to live it out in the context of our workplaces or our neighborhoods or online in our Facebook accounts, sometimes it gets a little out of control. And I just really pray, Father, that as we walk through the scriptures today, perhaps we can understand how we can be self-controlled in a world that's gone out of control. And that is a work, again, through the Holy Spirit in the Word of God and the people of God in our lives. Please take what we're about to talk about and use it for your glory, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, in preparing for today, I, I looked for an image, I'm a very visual person, I looked for an image that I think kind of conveys where we're at today as a nation. And I came across this image, and perhaps you will agree or disagree, but this seemed to capture in a very real way where we are today. America today is about as divided and straining at the seams as it has ever been. In fact, rather than being called the USA, United States of America today, people are referring to us as the DSA, the divided states of America. There are some very strong forces that are work in our nation. There are social forces, um, racial forces, economic forces, geographic forces. It seems like the heartland is against the coasts and the coasts are against the heartland. Uh, it, it is showing up in moral and spiritual forces. All of these are at work right now in our nation pulling America, the very fabric of America, apart. I have not told you anything that you don't already know, right? I mean, you turn on the TV, it's there. Everywhere you look, it's there. The realities of, of what's happening in our nation are right in front of us. And today, it all seems to be playing out through the political world, uh, where today it's also almost impossible to have civil discourse anymore, where logic and reason are no longer means to reconciliation, but rather vehemence, hate, and passionately held ideologies hold sway. Uh, these are difficult days as a nation, and might I say they are also perilous times for us as a nation. And I'm not even factoring in the international realities, whether it be North Korea or, or any of the other things that are going on right now. Uh, Jesus Christ himself actually spoke into our situation. That's right. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us a universal truism that speaks to where we are today as a country. And this is what he said. 
every kingdom divided against itself is ultimately going to be laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will ultimately stand. In fact, this verse of scripture was used by none other than Abraham Lincoln. Many years ago in a famous speech called A House Divided Against Itself. It was at the Republican State Convention in Illinois back in June 16, 1858. He was talking about the growing division in our nation over the issue of slavery. Lincoln said, he used this, this verse of scripture from Jesus for this reason. He said, this proposition is indisputably true. I want to use a universally known figure and express it in simple language that it may strike the minds and hearts of men in order to rouse them to the peril of our times. And of course, that eventuated in what's called the Civil War, where the body count grew to the point where it has exceeded any other war that we have ever been in. In a very real way, these are equally perilous times. And it's not that we have a civil war going on, but in a very real way, we have an uncivil war going on. One side yells at the other side, and one side tweets against the other side, and the other side Facebooks, and the other side on social media, and then as soon as we can get behind any kind of microphone, we are using caustic in uncivil language, and the body count of reputations is growing. We live in very perilous days. So the question becomes, how do believers live in this age? What is it that we are called to do? How is it that we are to interact in such an uncivilized time? What I want to do in just the next couple of minutes is I want to give you some, what I would call, um, grounding truths. The kind of stuff from the scriptures that we are called to anchor ourselves in as believers in Jesus Christ that will give us the ability amidst a, a swirling culture with all this stuff going on, we can remain grounded and I believe we have the ability to remain self-controlled in. Let me just give you what these are and then I want to take a few moments and walk through some of the ways the Christians engage the culture I think there are right ways, and I think there are wrong ways. We'll talk about that too. But let me begin here. First of all, we need to understand this. If you have been born in the United States of America, by virtue of being born here, you are given something called United States citizenship. With that U.S. citizenship, that means that you have all the privileges as well as the responsibilities of being a citizen of the United States. Some people go through the long process of, of getting into this country otherwise. But if you're born here, you're a U.S. citizen. If you are born again, I want you to understand you have been given another citizenship. Another country, another kingdom for which you have privileges and responsibilities. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, he said this, our citizenship is where? It's where? Our citizenship's in heaven. 
the kingdom of God. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will ultimately transfer our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to ultimately subject all things to himself. So what I want you to understand is if you are here today and you've been born an American and you've been born again, you have dual citizenship. You have two countries, if you will, that you have privileges and responsibilities to. Now the question is this, when those two citizenships come into conflict with each other, which one is ultimately supposed to supersede or rule over the other? Jesus gives us the answer to this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that we are to seek first, above and foremost, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that we believe we need in this life, God will ultimately provide for us in his wisdom and grace. So what that means is this. When there's tension between being an American citizen and being a Christian, when they come to head, loggerheads, we must allow our citizenship in heaven to have the predominant place in our lives, no matter what our citizenship here in the United States of America says we can do or can't do. So ultimately, our allegiances belong with the kingdom of heaven and Jesus Christ. Now that's important because it ultimately means this. Our struggle in America, for the believer, our struggle in America is not for the soul of our nation. Let me say that one more time. Because many of us have concluded that that's what we're supposed to be doing. Because our ultimate citizenship is with Jesus Christ, and we have a sub-citizenship here, we need to understand that because of Christ, that our ultimate reason for being here is not to somehow uh, win back the soul of our nation, but rather we are called to be actively at work in winning the souls of the people of our nation. We're not here to try and resurrect or keep an entity. We are here by God's grace to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's why we are here. Let me explain to you why. Jesus put it this way. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting for it. But again, my kingdom is not of this world. So rather than being engaged in a war for the soul of our nation, we are to be engaged in a war for the souls of people. That's why we are here. And ultimately, this truth is designed to lift us above and beyond our political affiliations to the kingdom of God's goal, which is the gospel in people's lives. This next verse of scripture is going to be kind of hard for some of us to kind of swallow, but it's a reality. The United States of America, land that I love, is going to be nothing more than a footnote in the annals of history someday. This is what the scriptures say. Uh, the Apostle John put it this way in 1 John. He said, the world is passing away along with its desires. You see, we have put all our energies and all our thought life and all of our monies and all of our into this political process to win a nation when in reality it's just going to go away. 
America is temporal at best. The word of God in the human soul is eternal. And this is what we are ultimately called to invest our lives in. So, I think another guy probably put it even better than I can put it. Uh, a man by the name of John Piper put it like this. This world is passing away. It says that in 1 Corinthians 7. It says it again in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but those who do the will of God abide forever. So we know this system is is disappearing, and therefore we, we shouldn't be so worked up about our opponent getting elected that it's going to undo our life. I just, I, I sense there's, I talked with one man after church on Sunday a few weeks ago, and it's as though his whole world were going to collapse if the person he didn't want to get elected got elected. And I just said to him, your issue is a spiritual one here, brother. You got way too much invested here. Are you a Christian? No. So the prophetic perspective says, I am God's child. Jesus Christ is my king. America is not my allegiance. God and heaven are my allegiance. And God can turn this for good no matter who gets Elected, and I will always be pursuing his kingdom first and let the political chips fall where they will. That's the prophetic perspective. And the, the next thing is the sovereignty of God. I mean, we need a big, healthy dose that God rules the world. He puts up kings and he takes down kings. He's going to govern this election. He's going to get elected the one he wants elected. And if it's the person we think is hurtful, then we need to be hurt. Sometimes people say, God's going to judge us if we do abortion or if we have gay marriage or if we elect a pro-choice president or something. Well, he's not going to judge us because of that. That is the judgment. Abortion is the judgment. The spread of radical gay activism is the judgment. And so we need a healthy dose of the sovereignty of God. And the last thing, I would say is we need the gospel. We need to say the reason we're on planet Earth is not to advocate for any particular uh, political party. We're here to advocate for Christ and him crucified. And that gospel may run a thousand times better during the worst of economic times than it does during the best of economic times. So how do we know that the best of economic times is good for the country? I don't. Might be. You make the best of it. But if the worst comes under the sovereign hand of God, you say, I'm here not to experience the best prosperity. I'm here to advocate for the gospel, and the gospel may triumph. So those are... Thank you, John. Different perspective on things, but I think a healthy way of understanding things if we are going to be able to be self-controlled, which is one of Paul's primary ways of telling Titus that the people of God are different than the world around them, because when all the world is out of control, we aren't. When all the world is losing its heads, we aren't. Why? Because we stand firm on some very important truths. Number one is that I am a child of God and my true citizenship is in heaven. Secondly is that um, his kingdom 
in allegiance is over this uh, allegiance to the United States. Ultimately, we are not engaged for the soul of our nation, but we're engaged in the soul to win the souls of people. And then, as he said, this world is passing away along with all of its desires. So as a child of God, this is our marching orders. This is how we're supposed to live. And this is what becomes important for the child of God even today. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's never changed. I don't care what the political climate is. I don't care where we're heading as a nation. This truth has never changed. And it's not just on the church. It's on the church. It's not just when we come together as the body, but you are the church. It's when you get up and walk out of here and go into your jobs and into your neighborhoods and into your lives. This is where this is meant to go. It's not just the church's role. It's the church's role. We are the church. So with that in mind, what I want to do right now is I want to blare through quickly uh, a bunch of uh, thoughts here because uh, I want to get to the end because in the end is the uh, important takeaway. But I've got too much stuff. I always do. So forgive me as we seek to work our way through this. So with this basic groundwork laid in our minds, let's go on to consider our citizenship as Americans and how our faith intersects with our responsibilities. What is the role of a Christian in society? And again, this has been debated over the centuries just as it's being debated today. But let me give you four quick ways that a lot of people seek to interact with the culture around them. Number one is what I would call the isolationist mindset. The isolationist mindset. There are a whole lot of people who believe that they should be avoiding the world and the secular society for the sake of Christ. I refer to this is as the light is afraid of the darkness. The light, which we are called to be in this world, the light is afraid of the darkness. Here's a verse of scripture that people like to use who have this mindset. Jesus said in John chapter 17 before his father, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so this verse of scripture becomes very dear to those people who wish to live in isolation from the greater society in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' day, there were a group of people called the Essenes. They were a community of people who lived outside of the cities in any populace, and they actually lived over by the Dead Sea, which nobody wanted to live there. It was hot, dry, and dead. So they found that to be the perfect place, because nobody else wanted to be there, to create their, their society. And so it was the Essene community that uh, they withdrew from the greater culture. And uh, this is where many people believe that John the Baptist grew up. All that to say, we have modern Essene communities today, uh, they are called, and some of them are neighbors, they are called the Amish. The Amish actually live like this, very much so, as you know. Uh, they have largely withdrawn from the world by creating enclaves and subcultures that have very little contact with the surrounding secularized culture. But it's not just the Amish who do this. It's not just the Amish, it's not just the Mennonites, it's not just the Shakers and the Quakers. But there are even some fundamentalist groups who have created almost these kind of communal livings largely independent of the greater world. Now, fundamentalist churches, this is my old stomping ground. 
I used to be in an independent fundamental Baptist church. We were very proud of the independent fundamental Baptist part, all of it. We were very independent, very fundamental, very Baptist. And, and so we lived in isolation largely from the greater community. We all kind of huddled together. We, we kept encouraging one another that Jesus will soon come and this big bad world will go away. And, you know, you kind of live in this little, this little world. And, you know, we tend to homeschool our kids together. We tend to do things together. All the while, we're, we're basically saying the world, the darkness is bad. Keep the light from it. And we live with that mentality. In fact, I was in a church. I actually helped cover the pulpit in this church for some time. But it was an IFCA church. IFCA. That's the only thing they go by today. But it used to be called the Independent Fundamental Churches of America. But when the fundamentalists over in, in Islam got all excited, they thought, oh, that word fundamentalism just doesn't carry the words it used to. So let's just call it the IFCA from now on. So that's what they do. Uh, and can I say, many of those churches I was in like that, they're no longer here. They were so small that they just kind of blew away. They never saw any more life grow into them because they were so exclusive. In fact, this actually made me chuckle when I found it. Um, Calvary Baptist Temple. I have no idea where this is. Calvary Baptist Temple, independent, fundamental, King James Bible 1611. What's it say? No, you're not. You aren't welcome there. I just want you to know this. I know these people. You're welcome there if you have a big, thick King James authorized version Bible. Then we might consider welcoming you there. However, if you're a guy, your hair must be short. If you're a woman, your dress must be long. You must agree with our doctrine. It has to be young earth creationism. You cannot be charismatic, and you have to believe in pre-trib, pre-mill theology. If you believe all those things, we'll consider making you one of our own. But until then... We don't really want you here. And that's how most of these churches are. The challenge with this is twofold, as I thought about it. First of all, this mentality often leads to legalism. And it, it, it makes me think that somehow they forget depravity is in the heart of all peoples. Sin is in our culture because it's actually in each of our natures. In isolation, as these people live, often masks the reality of our sinfulness, and it can turn into self-righteousness. Ironically, our religious morality is often harder to repent of to come into faith with Jesus Christ than our wickedness in the society. That's what the story of the prodigal son's all about. So in a very real way, this kind of isolationist mindset uh, ignores depravity, but it also ignores our responsibility to go into all the world, think next door, think your neighbor, think your classmate, think your whatever, and make disciples. So, so living in fear of the dark is not how Christ wants us, his people, to interact with the culture we find ourselves in. And I know there's some fundamentalists here. Hello to my fundamentalist brothers. We escaped from all that legalism. I just want you to know that when it comes to the theology in the Bible, there's probably nobody who's more conservative than I am, but I do not. I fight against the culture that goes with that whole thing. It's so legalistic and it's so external morality. Forget that. That does no good. All right, so isolationist mindset. Here's another one that's fairly predominant in our day, but it's actually getting smaller in our day because, quite frankly, they are insignificant and going away. This is what's called the identification mindset. This is where people, uh, churches tend to accommodate the world uh, for Jesus Christ. This is what I call the light being indistinct 
from the darkness. The light has become indistinct from the surrounding darkness. And this is a verse of scripture they like to use. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. For he is, the government is, God's servant for good. So this is where the state, the government, is looked upon as an agent of God in the world along with the church. Now there is some truth to that. But it was never meant to be that we should fully accommodate the state and place our, our trust in our understanding in what the state says. Now this is what happened in Europe. The Europe is known for all Europe is known for state churches. Every country in Europe has its own state authorized church. When we came to America, we said that's not a good idea. And it was a good idea that we said that. So in Jesus' day, these people were often referred to as the Sadducees. This is how they thought. They were the theological and political liberals of their day who allowed the political environment to shape them. Today, these people who would fall into this category of the identification mindset would be what we would call liberal churches or ecumenical mainline denominations. Let me give you some names, such as the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ, and most Episcopal churches. You see, what they have done is they have embraced the LGBT community, and not just that, but they have welcomed them to be their pastors and shepherds over their churches. You see, the government just affirmed all this. Yes! And so the government and the church are one, and so they walk forward with this mindset saying, hey, look, we're working with the state. All of this, oh, let me just share a couple of other, other groups that are struggling with this whole idea. Right now, there's a, a more liberal branch of the Baptists called the American Baptists. Uh, they're wrestling with how best to address this issue. It doesn't look good for them, as well as the United Methodist. Right now, they just had a big enclave, and there's a schism developing in the United Methodist Church over this issue. What it ultimately boils down to is they no longer hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. In fact, some would say God is still speaking today, and they're speaking, he's speaking even through what the government affirms with its laws. So a liberal church, somebody put it this way, the patina of pietism and the lushness of well-rehearsed liturgy have replaced the Bible in most of these churches. They have moved from the radical life-transforming gospel to a social gospel. Do good, be good, salvation. And it leads to complacency and indifference because there's a lack of true distinction between the world and the church and their numbers have been declining rapidly. Over the last number of years, many of these church uh, groups that I've told you about have watched their membership numbers plunge to the point of 60% of the population has walked away from some of these groups. And the reason is, why be here? They're no different than the rest of the world. We don't really need what they're telling us because I can do that over here. So this is the liberal brand of interacting with the world. You just accommodate the world. It's no big deal. All right, I'm going to push through this one because I spent most of my time on this one in the last service. I won't do it here. Here we go. This is the intervention mindset. This is the mindset that says our goal is to amend the world for Christ. I call this cursing the darkness rather than lighting a light. Cursing the darkness rather than lighting a light. And so here's some scripture that's often affirmed with this group. Amos 5, 14 and 15, seek good and not evil 
that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to you. And then Proverbs 14, 34 is one that's often used. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In Jesus' day, this group would probably have been recognized by the zealots of that day. The zealots were those people dedicated to fighting the government and the greater culture. And their thinking was, we must take back the culture, the government, and the political system. Uh, we, or we must do that by taking them back. And so they used whatever means at their disposal to do that. Today, today, this is the mindset of those who believe that we must reform the culture and the government and the political systems by taking them back. Over the years, this has come under many different names. One of the names in our evangelical world that holds to this mentality is something called Reclaim America. This was headed up by the late D. James Kennedy. Perhaps some of you remember him. Or the Moral Majority by the late Jerry Falwell. This was their goal as well. Uh, today, it goes under the heading of the Christian Coalition uh, with Pat Robertson, uh, who also has the American Center for Law and Justice, you know, Jay Sekulow Live. Uh, that's this guy. Um, the Family Research Council with Tony Perkins, the American Family Association with Reverend Donald Wileman. Focus on the Family, of course, originally founded by Dr. James Dobson. Today, Jim Daly oversees that ministry. The Traditional Values Coalition, the Family or Faith and Freedom Coalition, the Concerned Women for America Coalition, as well as the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and on and on and on. In the evangelical world, we have all of these groups that are designed to take back our nation through the use of of the political system. Whew. Let me just say this. All these resources, hundreds of millions of dollars, there are PACs and super PACs that Christians are putting together to support various political candidates. There are tens of thousands of people who are being mobilized under these various headings. And there is an incessant string of warnings and alerts to increase the, the numbers of people who will apply themselves to this and give money to support this in order to use the political system to take America back again. But it's okay. It's okay to use all these resources and to mobilize all these people and to get everybody going in this direction. It's okay because we're doing it all in the name of... Uh, we're doing it in the name of uh, uh, Jesus. No, 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 no. We're not doing it in Jesus' name because his kingdom is not of this world. Well, we're doing it under the name of morality. No, actually... Because the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart, and politics don't change the heart. Well, we're doing it in the name of righteousness. You know, righteousness uh, exalts a nation. Well, actually, no. Uh, there is only one kind of righteousness that God truly recognizes, and that's the righteousness that comes through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Works-based righteousnesses are what they are. Well, it's for the sake of the gospel. 
no again. It's not, we aren't doing this for the sake of the gospel because the gospel is a relational message of love and grace. It has nothing to do with taking back the institutions of power in America. We are using all our time, all our money, all our resources, all our energies, flexing our evangelical muscle in the name of... I've thought long and hard about this. Fear. Fear is what controls us. Now, people have applied a scriptural passage or two to it to sanctify it as though this is on behalf of God. But that's only applied from the outside. This is really not on behalf of God. This is politics. Politics is about power and money. Jesus had very little to do with power or money. And yet it seems like the church today is overly concerned about all of these matters. And what is driving us is the loss of our traditions. Or the loss of our way of life. And somehow you throw the second amendment in there because it gets lumped in there with Jesus and the Bible. Our gun rights do. I'm not sure how that works, but we do it in the name of Jesus. Or, or somehow we're afraid of the loss of control because we used to have the majority of voice in our country and we're losing it, and we're losing it. I don't know the ultimate reason why all of this is being foisted upon the evangelical church, but I do know it's not for Jesus, it's not for morality, it's not for righteousness, and it's not for the gospel. What is happening is this. We are being used. There's really no other way to explain it. The church is being used by the political establishment for its own ends. So today, there is this thing called the evangelical voting bloc. You've watched the polls, you've seen the elections, you've heard this term, haven't you? The evangelical voting bloc. It's a significant group of people in America who vote. About 25% of the population would come under this heading. And if any candidate wants to seriously win the White House or whatever place they're going for, they've got to win this block of people. And the way you win this block of people is you somehow sanctify religion over elections and turn it into a religious issue even though it's not. And so this is how they do it. Let me, let me just explain how this works and then we'll be quickly moving on from here. What you do is you create more fear. You've got to ratchet up the anxiety in people's hearts. You've got to have them palpitating because frightened people will do many things. Maybe they'll vote for our candidate. So what you do is you, you pull together a 24-hour network that's designed to keep people in a constant state of agitation. Oh my gosh, did you see what they do? Oh my gosh, did you hear that? Oh my gosh, did you hear what this person said? Oh my gosh. Uh, by the way, it helps their ratings. They have a motive. It's not religious. It's not for the good of God, but they have a motive. It's called, it's called you know, getting people to watch them. There's money connected to this. I'm just being honest with you. And so they get us all excited. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. How many people watch Fox News and get all excited about stuff? Yeah, I know, I know. Don't you not raise your hand. Come on. I've talked to so many of you. You're just wiping sweat off your brow. I can't believe where we're headed as a nation. Well, yeah, Fox told me. Oh, okay. Well, so they, but that's on purpose. They want us anxious. Did you know sheep scare easy? God's people are referred to sheep. Boo! And so they come on Fox News and go, boo! And we're like, oh, what do we do? What we do is we look for a strong evangelical leader to tell us what to do. What do we do? What do we do? How do we do this? And so what they do is they get their candidate, 
And I'm not trying to, to whitewash this man. I'm just trying to say, listen, this is how it works. They get their candidate, and they put somebody who's reputable in the Christian community to put their arms around him and say, this is our guy. And so on down to Liberty University goes Trump. And he goes down there, and Jerry Falwell Jr. puts his arm around him. He's my guy. And Dr. Dobson puts his arm around him. I believe he prayed to receive Jesus Christ according to Paula White, his personal whatever. And so what the Christian community is seeking to do is to convince us that this is the guy we should vote for. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote for him. I'm just telling you this is how it works. And it's not for the good of us. It's for politics. It's for power and money. Just want you to know how this, this works. But we give ourselves so fully to this. All the while, we're ignoring the purpose for which we are here. And we lose our head, and we lose our hearts, and we're, we're shrinking back, and we're so anxious, and we don't know what to do or what's going to happen. Can I just say this? Anytime the church climbs on the back of politics, the church always loses. Anytime you take the cross and the gospel, drape it in the flag, or put it on a political party, the church always loses. This is how we're told today by our evangelical community. Do this, do this. Boo! There goes James Thompson. Let's go follow him. We're sheep. We have herd instinct, you know? That's what we do. There goes Jerry Falwell Jr. Let's go chase him. This is what we do. We don't know what to do. So what we do is we follow our evangelical leaders. But can I just be honest with you? How well has that worked for us? I want you to notice this. The pendulum swings back and forth in America, doesn't it? Towards strong liberalism, towards conservatives. Towards strong liberalism and conservatives. It's done that for elections, back and forth, back and forth. Okay, but what's happening is this. It swings back towards strong liberalism, and then it swings back part of the way to conservatism. And then it swings even further to liberalism, and then it swings back part of the way to conservatism. And soon, we're losing this war, have you noticed? But this is not our war. We were never meant to be in the war for the soul of our nation. We have been on task with Jesus Christ for the souls of people in our nation. And this, if we did this, would change our nation. This doesn't. Politics and power has always hurt the church. It's loving people. It's serving people. It's helping people. It's meeting people's needs in Jesus' name that wins them one heart at a time to want to follow Jesus with their lives. This is how it's meant to work. It's worked that way for 2,000 years, but we've changed the paradigm in the last 20. Now us evangelicals think we're serving God by chasing after a few evangelical leaders who say, ooh, vote this way, ooh, vote this way. While we have been wrestling over the soul of our country, We've been ignoring the souls of people. Today, the United States of America is the third largest mission field in the world. Think about that. Behind China and India stands the United States of America with the largest population in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the sad irony is that our attention has been drawn to everything but the souls of people and the gospel of grace, which is the only proven remedy for the transformation of the human heart and of society. 
we're being duped. If you just vote right, everything will be okay. No, it won't. People need the Lord. People need Jesus Christ. This country is fading away. It's the word of God and the human soul that lives forever. This is where our priority is meant to be. Okay. Let me just throw one more voice in here and we'll be done. Hey, John MacArthur, tell me what you think. John in San Jose says, as a Christian, how involved should we be in politics of the day? He says, today we see preachers hosting national televised debates with candidates, having great presence lobbying in Washington. Is there a biblical mandate to have a voice in our country's government? I think that if you are a preacher of Jesus Christ and you are a pastor, that you should be known for speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. It has no bearing on the kingdom of God, who is the president of the United States. Has no bearing. So that doesn't affect how we vote at all? Well, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Okay. But the point is this. There is no impact on the kingdom of God from the politics of this country or any other country. Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So, if you want to dabble in something that has no bearing on eternity, that has no bearing on the kingdom of God, then you can dabble in politics. For a pastor to do that, I think, is to prostitute himself away from what his calling is, and the only thing that makes a difference, and that's the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the advance of the kingdom. Now, having said that, let me say this. As a Christian... I must take every uh, possible approach to uphold righteousness in a society. So when something comes up um, in the courts or on the ballot that gives me an opportunity to vote for righteousness, Mm. to vote for things that I know honor God, to vote for things that protect people from evil and all of that, I as a Christian have to vote what I think fits the biblical standard. But I understand that's a civic duty, Hmm. and that's separate from my responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church needs to stay out of politicking. It needs to vote righteousness, and it needs to proclaim the gospel. That's great. Thank you, John, for his thoughts and insights. Let me just say this again. I am not saying don't vote. Please don't hear me saying that. By all means, as a civic responsibility here in the United States of America, you are meant to vote. Vote your conscience, vote your conviction, vote for your candidate. But do not mistake your political action for building the kingdom of God. It isn't. It isn't. It's not even a mandate upon you from God. So voting and politics have no place in the church. And the sad thing is this, individually we are the church. And we get all afraid and angry and we start slinging political mud in our conversations on Facebook and work and at the gym. We put placards on our lawns and bumper stickers on our cars. And we, when we start slinging mud, Jesus and the gospel always lose ground. 
When are we going to learn that climbing on the back of political power or wrapping the cross with the flag or becoming vocally affiliated with a particular political party helps the church? It always loses. The gospel always loses. And your personal witness for Jesus always loses. When are we going to wake up? Okay. Let me give you the last one. This is the one I believe Christ calls us to and Titus tells us that we are to do. And let me just finish up with this and I will do it very quickly. This is what I would call the incarnational mindset. We as the people of God are called to attract the world to Jesus Christ. And we do this by reflecting the light of Christ in a spiritually dark, lost world. Here's what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it on a under a basket or a stand, but they give it light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is, in Jesus' day, this is who the followers of Jesus were. Our role in society is to allow Jesus Christ, who dwells in the life of every child of God, to incarnate himself in and through us by a transformed life of good works. And thus we are drawing the unsaved to him. What does that even mean? What's that look like? I like this term. This term is this. It's called being a missional community. A missional community is a community of Christians. Are we a community of Christians? For the most part, are we a community of Christians? How are we supposed to respond in this day and age for the sake of Jesus? As a community of Christians, we are on mission with God. Not a political brand. In obedience to the Holy Spirit, in order that we might demonstrate the gospel tangibly through good works and have the opportunity to declare the gospel creatively to a particular people. And it happens to be Southern Maryland and, and Waldorf. This is the people groups God has us around. This is where we as a people need to go if we want to be fulfilling Christ's role for us in this world. All that to say this. Let me get back to Titus. Bingo. Titus. Tell the believers in Jesus Christ they are to be the best and most compliant of all citizens. Why? Because we are to be submissive to rulers and authorities. We are to be obedient to them, and we are to be ready for every single good work we can do in the name of Jesus. We are to be the best citizens that America's ever seen. We are to be the most obedient citizens that America's ever seen. We are to be the most compliant and submissive citizens America's ever seen. That doesn't mean you don't vote. That doesn't mean you're not concerned about certain things. But to convey Christ, we have self-control. We don't lose it. We don't act like everybody else. We don't hate people. We don't do that. Not only are we the most uh, compliant of all citizens and the best of all citizens, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we are the most respectful and gracious of all the citizens in America. Why? Because we speak evil of who? Of who? Of who? No one. Think of the worst person in the world. No. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh-uh. We'll talk more about this in just a second. We are to avoid what? What? Facebook. That's right. We are to avoid Facebook. <laughs> We're always looking for a fight on Facebook, aren't we? And we are to be what? Gentle. 
And we are to show not just courtesy, but perfect courtesy towards how many people? But Pastor Bill, don't you understand that in the United States of America, one of our great rights and privileges is the freedom of speech? Yes. The United States gives you the freedom of speech. The kingdom of God doesn't. Which one rules? That's it. We don't have the privilege of exercising the freedom of speech in any way we wish because we're under a higher law, under a higher rule, and it's the kingdom of heaven. And people will know that we are his followers by love. When are we going to get that? We do this. Why? 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 Because. Because. We ourselves were once just like they are, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, just like they're doing, hated by others and hating one another. That's the way the world lives. That's the way we live before we met Jesus. And because we live like that, they're now living like that, we feel like we have to condemn them for that, and yet, notice what happened. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us from all that. Not because of works of righteousness done by us, but according to his mercy. By the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit in our lives, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Notice this. God showed us goodness. God showed us kindness. God showed us mercy. God showed us grace. When we were like this. Do you know what he's saying? It's our turn. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to insist on this, Titus. I want you to insist on this, Bill Walker. These things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are the things that are ultimately excellent and, excellent and profitable for the people of God as well as the people of our world. We've been taken on a ride, believing that our purpose here is to somehow uh, win or reclaim or, or get back the soul of our nation. The nation's an entity, and it's fading away. We have been left here and sent here by Jesus Christ to win and go after the souls of individuals. One heart, one mind, one life at a time. And if we actually did this, it would transform our country. So, in closing, vote. Vote your conscience, vote your candidate, vote. But don't think you're doing God any favors by voting. That's a civic duty. God wants to know, not did you vote, but when was the last time you shared the gospel? That's what it means to be his in this world. Let me pray for us. Father God, help us to get our heads screwed on straight. We have evangelical leaders all around us that we love and respect, and we know they love you. But they're, they're, they're pulling us in all these directions that are really away from the purpose for which we are here. And we are here for Jesus. We are here for righteousness as found at the cross. We're here for morality as the Holy Spirit changes us. We're here for the gospel. We're not here to reclaim some kind of way of life, some kind of soul of America. 
help us to wrestle with these thoughts, bring us out the other side that much closer to our actual purpose, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and make disciples. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.